I started teaching on uh, prayer on Monday night, and in the evening sessions, that's what I'm teaching on. I'm ministering on spirit, soul, and body in the morning. But on Monday night, we started from Matthew chapter 6, and we started talking about the Lord talked about prayer, but before He taught what prayer was, He spent quite a bit of time teaching what prayer was not and countering misconceptions because the religious system of His day had become so hypocritical. It had become so phony that there was, there was a, a lot of hypocrisy in it. And so the Lord had to undo what people thought was prayer before He could say what it was. So that's how we started on Monday night. And then last night I continued still talking about what prayer is not. And my plans last night were really to take this slow and spend a couple of nights and just politely, kindly try and deal with these things and... Uh, you know, starve this wrong teaching to death. And it just didn't come out that way. It was like God just said, there's no way, there's no easy way to kill it. Kill it. <laughs> and, and boy, last night I said a lot of things that um, I just, I, I hadn't got an excuse for it. It just, it just needs to be said. There are some weirdness, perverseness in the body of Christ, especially among intercessors. Now, not all intercession is bad. And before this week is over, we're going to try and put the positive spin on this and show you what the right way of doing it is. But I countered a lot of stuff last night, and um, I expected some really adverse reaction. I hadn't heard a negative thing. If you had a negative reaction, you didn't tell me about it. Matter of fact, I had some people come up and say some positive things. But um, I tell you, it's different than what's being taught in the body of Christ today. And I'm sure there's other people teaching it. I'm, I'm confident of that, but I just haven't heard it. I've never heard a single person say those things I was saying last night, and yet I believe that the Word makes it so clear. And so I've just decided that, praise God, I'm going to say it. And um, we'll see how it goes, but I believe it's going to set people free. What I want to share with you tonight is about what is. I've been talking about what isn't the purpose of prayer. What is the purpose of prayer? And this is going to be so simple some of you are going to totally miss this. You're going to think, no, it's more than this. And, and you, it's just not going, to, it's not going to sound right to you. But I really believe this with all of my heart. And I believe that this is one reason that people aren't having more uh, success in their Christian life is because they've missed so simple things. But, you know, just to state it as simply as I can, the real purpose of prayer is just to have communion, fellowship with God. It's to love God. It's relationship. Prayer is nothing but conversation. Conversation should be two-way. It shouldn't be a monologue. It should be a dialogue. It should be where you are visiting and fellowshipping with God. And that is, I believe, the vast majority of prayer. I'm just picking these figures out of the air, but from my experience, the way I relate to the Lord, 95% of all of the time I spend in prayer is just thanking the Lord, loving the Lord, appreciating the Lord, just visiting with the Lord, just hanging out with the Lord. Amen. Nothing special. Nothing dramatic whatsoever. And you know what? I know that this sounds so simple to people that many of you are going to think, oh, no, you've got to know how to be strong in prayer and do all of this. I believe that there are times. There's times that I've stood and I've taken authority over the devil. And, man, I've done warfare and I've bound and I've done this and I've seen miracles happen. 
But you know what? That is just a minute part of my prayer life. It's nearly an insignificant part of my prayer life. And yet, if you hear most people teach on prayer, you know what the focus of prayer is going to be is about how to request and get something from God. How to get your prayers answered. How to, and if you're really spiritual, not how to just get your prayers answered, but how to pray so that other people can receive. And that's what the focus of most people's prayer is all about. And if that is your focus, I believe that's one of the reasons that your prayers are ineffective. Is because that is one purpose of prayer. The Lord did say things like in John chapter 15. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. It is appropriate to ask and get your needs met. God wants to meet your needs. But that shouldn't be a major part of your prayer life. It shouldn't even be a big part. It ought to be a minute part. As a matter of fact, as I go through this tonight and share some things with you, I believe that if you put the first thing the first thing, if you make the main thing the main thing, and if you begin to start loving God and just worshiping God, and the object of prayer is just to fellowship with God, if you were to do that, you would find that you wouldn't have as many needs. When you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... It just supernaturally works that God adds things to you. You know, the scripture literally says in Matthew chapter 6 that you are not supposed to take thought about what you shall eat, what you're clothed with, where you sleep, all of these kind of things. That's what the heathen, the lost people that don't know God are occupied with. It shouldn't even be a focus of your life. And yet God says he knows that you have need of these things. But he came back in Matthew 6, and he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. These things are talking about what you eat, where you sleep, what you're clothed with, your physical needs. God will supply them. Here's another truth about prosperity that most people just can't wrap their brain around. This is so far outside of our realm of experience. This just goes over most people's head. But you know what? If you would get to where you were passionate about God and you loved God more than anything else and you lived to love God, not to go to work. You didn't love God on the side. You didn't love God to add an extra quality to your life. He's not an addition. He's not an add-on. But if He was the focus, the center of your life, if you sought the kingdom of God first, that starts spiritual dynamics into a flow to where God just supernaturally takes care of you. God will take care of you better than you could ever take care of yourself. But most people are out working. I've got to do this. I've got to make a living. I've got to accomplish these goals. I've got to get these kids. I've got to do this. And they're focusing and they're doing all of these things. And on the side, they try and add God to their life. God is an addition. He's an add-on. He is not the center of the average Christian's life. And because of it, that means that the burden of you producing wealth and prosperity and making things work is on your back and people get stressed out and burdened and under care and they're struggling because they are the ones that are trying to make everything work. But when you put God first, I can't explain it to you, but it is a principle of God that when God is the center of your life and you're truly loving God first, everything else just works. God makes it work supernaturally. It's effortless when God is just prospering you and blessing you. 
And you know, I believe that you're the cream of the crop. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I love you. I appreciate you taking time out and spending a week to come to these meetings. I think you're fanatical Christians. And yet I bet you there's very few people in here that are into this supernatural divine flow to where your life is just, God, I want to love you. And if you do that, everything else just works out. God works it out. You know, I have people often say about, man, it doesn't seem like you get ruffled about anything. Things go wrong. I was just talking to David down here. It looks like our contract on our building's falling through today. Something else. You know, it just doesn't bother me because I love God and God's going to make this thing work. It will work. It's just a, it's an annoyance. It's a, it's a hindrance. All the devil can do is just aggravate you. He can't stop anything. And you know what? It isn't going to change my life, and I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'll sleep great tonight. Amen. Everything's going to work. It's not a big deal. And yet there's some people that, well, man, I've got to fix this. I don't have to fix a thing. You know what? God's my source, and I'm going to keep my focus on the Lord. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, and you hide and watch. Everything will work out, and when all the dust settles, we'll look back and say, you know, God blessed us. It was so awesome the way that God did everything, and, and it'll work. There is a supernatural divine flow when you put God first and just love Him. That if we would do that, you wouldn't have to spend very much time asking God for finances. You know, our budget right now, we have to have $420,000 a month just to break even. We really need $600,000 a month is what we need to accomplish what we're doing. That's $20,000 a day. I figured this up, I forget right now, but I think it's $800 or $900 per hour, every hour of every day, every day of every week, to just do what I need to do. And that's not going to last long. By the end of the year, the Lord showed me I need to be up to a million dollars a month. I'm not sure what that is, but that's going to be well over $1,000, $1,200 per hour of every day. And yet, did you know, it has been decades since I've asked God for any money. I never ask God for any money. I never pray about the Lord increasing our income. The only thing I've prayed about is that I say, God, we need more money. And you know what? I just need to start increasing my vision. I'm thinking small. So I'll go to meditating on God supplying my needs and I'll think about it. But I don't ever ask God for money. I don't pray and push and pull. If we run into a financial bind, what I'll do is begin to say, well, God, I know that the supply is there. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'll make sure that I'm not doing something that's my flesh, that I'm doing what God told me to do. But if I know that God told me to do it, well, then I just start encouraging myself that God's my source. God's going to be faithful. And I encourage myself. I talk to myself. I use scripture and preach to myself. But I don't ever ask God for finances. And I know some of you think, that's weird. But it's what the Word says. You seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I have spent decades without asking God for a penny. And yet God is blessing us more than we ever have. It's working better than me begging and asking for that. See, if you begin to start using prayer to just say, Father, I love you. You are the center of my life. And you worship God, and you fellowship with God. You know what? He would supernaturally add all of these other things unto you. You wouldn't have to know how to pray and bind poverty and do all of these things. You would do better accidentally than you've ever done on purpose before. 
You know what? If you were in the presence of God, loving God and worshiping God, stress would not be a part of your life. You know, I am one blessed guy. I just am not stressed. I am not stressed. I don't have any stress in my life. I'm just not bothered. It's not worth it. People criticize me and say all kinds of things, but you know what? Nobody's going to rent space in my mind. I got things more important in thinking about your criticism of me. It's just not important. You aren't important in the end result of things. I love you. I'm not trying to say that bad, but I got something bigger than you and me and what people say about me. And I'm just focused on God, loving God. And I love God and because of it. When people criticize me, I don't have to pray. And, oh, God, have you heard what they said about me? All of this. It doesn't matter because I'm putting first the kingdom of God and seeking God. And because of it, I'm, I'm a happy guy. I really am. I am not burdened and depressed and defeated and doesn't matter. I know some of you think, well, you don't have any problems. <laughs> I got problems just like anybody else. Matter of fact, I believe that ministers have more problems in some ways because you got a big circle target dr- drawn on you and Satan hits us with things. You know, if I wanted to, I could obsess as much as any person in here. I've had some pretty bad stuff happen. But you know what? If you focused on the Lord, it's like the song that we used to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If you're looking at the brightness of God's glory, you know, it just blinds you to other things. You can't see the things that other people see. I just don't have the worries and the cares that other people have. And one reason is because my prayer life is 95, for me, it's probably 99%. Father, I love you. You're awesome. I just fellowship and visit with God. That's what my prayer is all about. I don't ask God for very much. You know, I never pray over meetings. I know some of you are going to think, boy, you are just a deadhead because this is not the way, man, most people, they have intercessors and you pray and you bind and you call people in and you do all of these things and man, you got to agonize and travail and you got to go in and clear the air and all. I don't ever pray about any of this stuff. You know what? I just show up. I don't ever ask God uh, to bring people in. Oh God, let your anointing be there. That's an insult to God. You know what? If God called me to minister his word, He would have been unjust to call me and ask me to do something and then not give me the equipment to get it done. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He hath, past tense, already anointed me. I never ask God to anoint me. It says, He that hath anointed us is God. I believe that God's already done it and I just thank Him. Father, thank you. Praise God, we're going to have a good meeting because I will speak the truth and I will say things that God has spoken in my heart and God's Word's already anointed. You don't have to beg God to do what He's already done. God wants to change your life more than I want to change your life. I don't have to pray and, oh God, would you please get as concerned about these meetings as I am. No, I'm trying to get me as concerned about these meetings as God is. In my prayer time, I'll just praise God and I'll remind myself, God, you love these people. You want to see people set free. You want to draw people into these things. And I'll encourage myself and talk to myself. And I don't ever worry about that. I don't bother about the size of the crowd. You know, one good thing about the way Jamie and I started, I spent 
two years that the largest crowd we ever had was 15. And most of the time it was Jamie and me, and then we had our oldest son Joshua born and these two people that were with us. And so five of us many times. We meant five nights a week and probably three nights a week there was five of us. Every once in a while somebody else would come. The largest crowd we had was 15, and I preached my heart out to them. And you know what? If it's over 10 or 15 people, I consider it a crowd, amen. It doesn't matter to me. It was good training for me. I don't care about the size of things. It's just not important. It's just like the song Charlie sang tonight, you know, about Mary and Martha. She was obsessing about serving, and we've got to get all this food ready, and what about this, and what about that? But Martha was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Mary, or no, it was opposite, or which was it? <laughs> Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha was the one that was obsessing, and she wanted Jesus to correct Martha and tell her that she had to do something, and he said, there's only one thing needful. And Mary has chosen the good part that shall not be taken away. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you would make the main thing the main thing, if you would just go to loving God and just use prayer, instead of coming with your grocery cart and going up and down the aisles of heaven and saying, Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. My middle name is Moore. Gimme more, amen. Instead of requesting and begging for this and begging for that, if you'd just come in and Say, Father, I love you. You're awesome. And start praising Him for who He is and what He's done. You spend 10 or 15 minutes loving God and you'd find out, what was that problem I had? Because <laughs> it just leaves. When you start magnifying God and talking about how big God is, God, you're awesome, you'll find out that your problems are insignificant. God, you know, I had something I was going to ask you, but really I forgot what it was. Or, or then you'll say... You know, really, it's, it's, uh, it's not even worth bothering you with, amen? It'll pass. It's not a big deal. You'd find out that 90% of the stuff that you're obsessing over is unimportant. We are using prayer as a way to twist God's arm and get His attention so that He can give us these things that are useless. You know, many of you this week, I don't know this by talking to you personally. I just know this by dealing with people. There are some of you this week that have had things happen because Satan tries to steal away the Word. He will have something happen with your car. There will be something happen back home. You'll have a worry about this. Your uh, room wasn't right. Your air conditioner didn't work right. Your toilet didn't flush. And you know what? People will get to thinking about this and start using their faith. To fix these things and they'll obsess and you know what? Next week you won't even be able to remember what it was that bothered you and occupied you. Certainly within a month or certainly within a year. If you would think back a year from today, if you would have kept a journal and go back and write down what it was that bothered you a year ago today. And if you went back in your journal and read it, you'd think, you know, that wasn't that big of a deal. And yet I spent an hour praying and asking God to help me through this thing. You know, we're immature, we're spoiled brats. We are seeking for God to help us. Oh, this person said this about my clothes and didn't like the way I looked. Who gives a rip? It's not important. Well, I've got bags under my eyes and until God heals me of this, I just can't go on. Get over it. Man, it's just your earth suit. You're going to lay this thing down. It's not that big of a deal. 
Now, am I telling you that God doesn't, isn't concerned about those things? No, but I'm saying that if you would just put your attention on God and love God, you'd find out these things wouldn't be important and you'd be better off accidentally than you ever have been on purpose. I've had people come up in prayer lines before and they're crying and I say, what's wrong? And they go to telling me and I've had to bite my lip before to keep from just breaking out laughing. Like, this is it? This is what you're crying over? I said, I have, I have worse things than that happen on my good days. It's amazing. When you get into the presence of God and start using prayer to just worship and love God, did you know that that is the number one thing that will make your life be stable? It'll give you a different outlook. You'll think differently than people that don't love God and don't worship God. Everything in your life will begin to start changing and you would begin to see huge success if you'd quit asking for anything and just go to loving God. Now again, there's a balance to this. The Lord did say, ask and you shall receive. So it is appropriate, but it is not meant to be what prayer is all about. Prayer is number one, just loving God. Just saying, Father, you are a good God. I love you. You're awesome. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Praise, worship, singing ought to be a huge part of prayer. I'm not going to take time to go through Hebrew words and stuff like that. But again, these words imply worship is what the word prayer means. To kiss the face is what the word prayer means. Did you know that in the Old Testament it says Saul prophesied before God and joined the other prophets? And if you study it out, you know, he wasn't sitting there saying, Thus saith the Lord and speaking forth things. He had a harp and he was singing. And that's prophecy. Singing is prophecy. Worshiping God. And there's so very little that we give to God. It's all taking. It's all coming. God, I have nothing to give you. I need this. I need that. You're missing out on what Christianity is all about. Let me share some things. I'm going to try and condense a lot of stuff here, but I want to try and make this point. Let's look in John 3.16. I'm sure all of you have heard this scripture. Most people can quote it. We're so familiar with it, we don't know what it says. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you know that the way this scripture is used in the body of Christ is? That God came and forgave your sins so that you wouldn't go to hell, and if you will receive it, you can be born again and escape hell. That's not what this verse is saying. Let me say it this way. This verse does not say Jesus died so that you would not perish. Period. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that God loved you so much that He came not only so that you wouldn't perish, but here's the goal of salvation. is so that you could have eternal life. And this term, eternal life, has become a religious cliche that most of us equate with. Well, that means going to heaven, living forever in heaven. Most people think eternal life is living forever. That's not what eternal life is because it says right here in the third chapter, um, 
down here, I believe it's in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Everlasting life isn't something that takes place in heaven. It's not living forever in heaven. It says right now you have everlasting life. So it's not talking about some future thing in heaven. It's a present tense reality. So what is eternal life? Look in John chapter 17 in verse 3. This is Jesus who's the author of eternal life speaking. And he gave a definition in verse 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. I know some of you are thinking, that's it? Well, I know God, and you mean that's it? Just the fact that I know God? Well, this isn't talking about know the way we do. We say that, you know, people say, do you know this person? Oh, yeah, I know him. I've seen him. You could describe him or tell something about him. But no, the Greek here is talking about an intimacy, an experiential knowledge. Matter of fact, in the Bible, the word know was used to describe that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and had a child. It's, it's used for the most intimate of all physical relationships. And that's what this is talking about. Here is what salvation is all about. God died to produce knowing Him intimately. Not in the future when you go to heaven, but right now in this life. That's the goal of salvation. Let me say it this way. The goal of salvation was not to get your sins forgiven. That's not the purpose of salvation. We've heard it preached that men repent or else, turn or burn. And the church has basically cheapened the gospel, has cut out the heart of the gospel, and have said the reason people need to be born again is so that they won't go to hell. Well, that's true that if people aren't born again, they will go to hell. And that would be good enough reason to get people born again. That would be a good enough reason to lay our life down telling other people about the goodness of God if it was just so that people wouldn't go to hell. But that's not what the Scripture says. Jesus died. He so loved this world that He gave His only begotten Son for what purpose? So that you could know Him in an intimate, close, personal way. And let me say it this way. That if all you did was get your sins forgiven so that you will not go to hell, then you're missing the goal of salvation. You're missing the heart of salvation. That's not what salvation is about. It's a wonderful benefit. Praise God for not going to hell and not having fear of death and the afterlife. That's wonderful. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation is being able to enter into an intimacy with God to where He is your very best friend. He's the closest person to you. He's real. He's more real to you than your husband, than your wife, than your child. And if you don't have that, you don't have the real goal, the purpose of salvation. You're missing out on what salvation is all about. Sin was not the object of God coming. Sin was only a barrier that stood between us and intimacy with God. And so Jesus did have to die for our sins so He could remove that barrier. But for what reason? So that we could now enter into intimacy and closeness and relationship with God. 
The goal isn't to overcome sin. The goal is to have intimacy, closeness with God. That's what eternal life is all about. That's why Jesus came. And this is the reason, see, that the first century church had better results than this century church does. They didn't have radio, television, tapes, CDs. They didn't have the ability and all of the things that we do. They didn't have the printed page. They didn't have books. They didn't have tracks. And yet in 30 years, a ragtag group of uneducated people changed the world, turned it right side up. In 30 years, the gospel had spread throughout the known world. They made a huge impact, a greater impact than we're making on our generation. You know why? Because they had a quality of relationship with God that was infectious. I've actually been to Rome. I remember my mother took me over there when I was 18 years old. And uh, we went through the catacombs. We went through the Colosseum, the Circus Maximus, where they uh, killed people. You know, Ben-Hur, that... uh, chariot race, that was the Circus Maximus, and they used to burn people at the stake and throw them to the lions and do all of that. And I've been over there and saw that, and I never will forget as I went through those catacombs, the Christians had to take their dead and bury them underground in the catacombs because the Romans hated Christians so much they'd desecrate the graves. So once they were killed, burned at the stake or whatever, they'd take them down into the catacombs, they'd bury them in these passageways, and they'd write inscriptions over them. And they had translated the inscriptions on these graves into English. And I just went through and started reading these inscriptions. And it just made a profound impact on me. And I remember one of them that I read, a guy wrote about his wife. And he said, here lies my wife and six-month-old daughter who gave their life today for the glory of God in the Circus Maximus. You could hear his joy, his pride in the fact that his wife and six-month-old daughter were killed for the glory of God. You know what? Most of us would be thinking about my life. We would be so self-loved that all we would see is fear and all of this kind of stuff. But it is a historical fact that the uh, Christians, as they were burned at the stake, they would sharpen stakes and run them up through the person and impale them on the stake and then burn them at the stake. And in all of this pain, the Christians would be singing, so much so that Nero literally stuck his fingers in his ears and he says, my God, why do these Christians sing? It was common. The Christians used to actually fight each other to see who got the honor of going out and being fed to the lions and burned at the stake. They would fight to see who got to go out there and die for the glory of God. And one of the reasons they quit all of that stuff was because it's a documented fact that for every one Christian who was killed, there would be up to seven Romans jump out of the stands and run out there and instantly be killed by the lions or put to the stake But they would run out there because they saw such joy, such peace, such love in these people's face that they would give their life and die to be able to have a relationship with a person like that. And today, there's not one out of a thousand Christians who would have that kind of an attitude. It's all about, I've got to get my needs met. God, give me this and 
all of these things. And we use prayer. Our relationship with God is so superficial. I'm not saying that God wants us all to be martyrs, but I'm saying that, you know what, there ought to be such a love with God that as you are focused on Him and seeking first the kingdom of God, you are having so much joy, so much peace from God that if they're taking your house away, man, it doesn't matter. If they repossess your car, who gives a rip? I got a house that's going to be on streets of gold. God's going to take care of me. And if you would get that attitude, you'd find out that prosperity would be no problem to you. You wouldn't have to spend any time praying about your needs and doing all of these things. But we have cheapened salvation to where salvation is just an opportunity for us to look at our big father in the sky who will meet all of our needs and give us everything. Most people, when they came to the Lord, you came to the Lord for totally selfish reasons. Because you wanted to escape hell. And again, that's a great reason. But you know what? It's more to it than that. It ought to be that we're telling people about how good God is, about how great God is, about He's not angry at us anymore. He took all of our sins and the justice and the punishment for our sins and put them upon the Lord Jesus Christ and made Him pay for it. He punished His own Son, sent His own Son to hell so that we wouldn't have to go there. That's how much He loves us. And if that was the message we were preaching, people would be jumping out of the stands to join us. People would be coming by the droves. But instead, we're preaching, repent or else, turn or burn. And so people look at God like an insurance policy. And because they were told the reason to have God in your life is so that you won't go to hell, once they get that goal obtained, once they reach the assurance that they're saved, most of them don't give God much time, much effort. They're just going to hold on and serve God just enough so that they'll be able to go to heaven instead of to hell. Because that's what they were taught. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you teach people that the reason to get saved is so that you won't be miserable anymore and that you can get all of your needs met and God will answer your prayers. And if that's the goal, then people will serve God just enough to be able to get what they need. And as they enter into prosperity, they'll forget God. That sounds like a very accurate description of where our church is today. Because that's the way it's been preached. We haven't preached that intimacy with God, that God loves you so much. He's so passionate. I mean, God is passionate about you. Passionate. He loves you more than you could ever dream of. He's not mad at you. God's not imputing your sins unto you. He sees you in the Spirit and He loves you. And God Almighty wants to hang out with you. Because He loves you. And people don't know that, and because of it, they aren't enjoying this relationship. And they've tried to reduce things, the whole Christian life, but specifically prayer, to where it's just how I can make God do this, how I can get this from God, how I can make God do this for somebody else. And we aren't using prayer for what it's really for. Prayer is just communion with God. It's just fellowship. God, I love you. And have God say, well, I love you too. And be able to hear in your heart God tell you how much He loves you. And to feel the pleasure of God. And just fellowship with God. That's what prayer is all about. And if you would do that, you wouldn't have to spend hardly any time asking for things, praying for stuff, because it would just supernaturally. The Bible says all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. I don't see Christians... 
with the blessings chasing them. I see Christians chasing the blessings. I see people come to my meetings with their tongue hanging out. <laughs> I'm at another meeting. I'm trying to get God to do something. You know what? If you just stop and go to loving God and saying, God, I'm sorry. I, yes, there's things I need in my life, but you know what? It's not a big deal. The main thing I need is just to love you and to have your fellowship and to know that you love me. And if you would start using prayer to just love God and fellowship with God and worship God, everything in your life would transform tremendously. But on the other hand, you extract that from prayer and you make 95% of your prayer asking for things, repenting of things, bawling and squalling, complaining, griping, telling God what the doctor said, telling God what your bills are like, doing all of this. And you know what? It makes a Christian life a pain. It makes it hard. It's a struggle. And brothers and sisters, we're just missing out on what Christianity is all about. It's just loving God. The church has emphasized, do a work for God. And they, and they equate God's love and acceptance of you proportional to how well you're performing. And so many of us are doing things. We're human doings instead of human beings. We feel like I got to do a work for God. We'll sing songs like my hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's word. My feet were made to walk in his footsteps. I was born to serve the Lord. Well, that's good in a sense if you understand that you were made for God, if that's what you're saying. But you know how most people take a song like that is that I've got an obligation. I got a duty. I owe this to God. And you do it as a debt. And you you start getting this concept that I've got to do something for God. God's not as concerned about what you do as He is who you are. And you just fellowshipping with Him. If God could ever get your heart, if He could ever get you to where you love Him and you worship Him and you use prayer primarily just to love God and know God, I can guarantee you He'd get your service. If He gets your heart, He'll get your wallet. You go to a missions conference, and again, I understand what's trying to happen. People are trying to say that, you know what, we're materialistic-minded. We're just doing things for ourselves and not thinking about others. We've got a world out here that's dying and going to hell. They need to know the good news. I agree with that. So at most missions conference, they'll say things like, man, you know, I heard this at a missions conference. Your sole justification for your existence is to lead another person to the Lord. And I know what they're trying to say, that God's got a purpose for your life. And it's not just to take care of yourself, but you are meant to be a blessing, a channel of God's blessing to other people. And I agree with that. But, you know, if you accept that, well, then let me ask you this. What was Adam and Eve's sole purpose for their existence? Because they didn't have another person to lead to the Lord. They didn't have any demons to cast out. They didn't have any clothes to believe in. They didn't have to believe for food. They didn't have to pray, give us this day our daily bread. They had all the food. They did, the, perf, the climate was perfect. They didn't have to pray about getting over their broken heart and their dysfunctional family. They didn't have to heal themselves of their memories. They didn't have to rebuke demons. They didn't have to do any. All of the stuff that occupies what our Christianity is about, they didn't have it. And yet they met with God every day in the cool of the evening. For what purpose? Just to fellowship with Him. 
The Bible says in Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, this is what the four uh, beasts before the Lord and the uh, 24 elders are doing. They're constantly worshiping the Lord and they're saying, Thou art worthy, for thou hast, for all things are and were created for your pleasure. That says all things are and were created for your pleasure. That says that the original purpose and still the purpose of us being here is for God's pleasure. God loves you. And He wanted you just to so He could show you how much He loved you and so that you could say, I love you too. That's what God created you for. He didn't create you to do something. Now, it is true that he needs things done. And so, yes, that's a part of it. But the goal is he just loved you. He loved me. He wants us. And our service is a byproduct of that. As a matter of fact, there's many scriptures that talk about if you give him your service and don't give him your heart, that displeases God. He says, your, your offerings, your sacrifices are a stink in my nostrils. I can't stand it away with it. Those are things he commanded us to do, but it was because we were substituting the sacrifices without giving him your heart. If you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or if you give your body to be burned and don't have a heart of love behind it, then it says it profits you nothing. If you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if you have faith so that you can move a mountain, and if your heart isn't in union with God, it profits you nothing. And this is what we've been doing. All the emphasis has been on do something for God. And we haven't understood that what God really wants is you, not your service. Now again, He does want your service, but He wants you primarily. You know, I ministered on this on the radio, I think it's been 25 years ago, and a woman in Huntsville Prison in Texas, she was on death row for murder. And she had, um, I don't know the details of it, but anyway, she wrote me this letter, and there were tears on this letter. And she says, I have been born again since I committed this murder. And she says, I'm now born again and spirit-filled, but she was in solitary confinement. She didn't even have a guard that she could talk to. They slipped her food to her under the door. She never left the cell. And she says, I have spent years just asking God to kill me and let me die and go home. And the reason behind it was, she says, now I love God and I'm born again. But she says, I've, I've been nothing but a problem. She says, I've disgraced my family, her parents and all of that. She ruined her family. She was married and had kids and they were ashamed of her. They wouldn't fellowship with her, do anything. She says, not only did I do that, but I killed a person. I hurt their family. I did all of this. Now I'm a drain on the taxpayers. I'm a leech. I'm taking. It would be better if I was dead and gone. She says, I have no purpose. And she says, I can't even witness to anybody. I'm in solitary confinement. I don't even have a guard. I don't have other prisoners that I can talk to. So for years, she'd been asking God to kill her. But then she heard this teaching. And she says, for the first time in my life, I understood that I was born again because God loves me. And me saying, Father, I love you, blesses God and ministers to God. And she says, now I've got a purpose for my life. She said, for the first time, I'm free. She says, I'm freer in this jail cell than I thought I could ever possibly be. 
And it was powerful as she went on through this thing. And brothers and sisters, that woman in prison was freer than most people sitting right here in this room because she had discovered what life was all about. It's knowing God in an intimate way. And when you do that, it not only blesses God, but it does something to you. It just changes you. You'd find out that you wouldn't be like a $2 suitcase that falls apart at, at the slightest little thing. But man, it'd give you a stability, a strength in your life so that, you know, let come what may, I'm going to make it because God loves me. And most people don't have that. And I believe one reason is because they don't use prayer to love God and to worship God. They use it to get their needs met, or if they're really spiritual, to get somebody else's needs met. But they don't love God. You know, the Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And people think that blessing the Lord, I hear people all the time say, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, we bless you, Lord. You know, saying bless the Lord doesn't necessarily bless the Lord. You know what that's talking about? This woman, Sandy, um, what was her name? Sandy Brown. When she got born again, she was a cocktail waitress in Las Vegas. And she was just a pagan. I mean, a pagan. And she started hearing them talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and so she says, what is that? And she says, well, they said, well, you speak in tongues, you get filled with the power of God. And they described it. And she says, well, how can I get it? And they said, well, you just ask for it. And then you begin to bless the Lord. So she didn't know much, and so she went home, and she, it had the word baptism in there, baptism of the Holy Spirit, so she filled up her bathtub with water. And then she got in the bathtub, and she had a little bit of Catholic stuff in her, so she put candles all around the bathtub and lit them, and she sat in the bathtub, and then she asked for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and started going, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, because they said you got to bless the Lord. And she thought repeating the words was blessing the Lord. That's not what it was talking about. By the way, she did receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. But you know what that's talking about is that if you say, Father, I love you. You're a good God. You know what that does? It blesses God. God gets ministered to through you. The scripture says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, that as all these people fasted and prayed, it, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. But it says they ministered unto the Lord. How do you minister to the Lord? Do you preach at Him? Tell Him to repent? God straighten out, you need to start doing it. No, when you minister to the Lord is when you're saying, Father, I love you. And you know what? It ministers to it. Most people haven't seen this, but you know what? God has a need. God is loved. 1 John 4, 7 or 4, 8 says that God is love. And anybody who loves has a need to be loved in return. If the object of your love doesn't love you back, you know that's miserable. And God is love and He loves you. And you know what? When you love God, it blesses God. It ministers to God. You know, when my kids were little, I think they were like five and seven or something like this. I took them out one Saturday. They took some friends with them. We went and rode our horses all day long, made a tree swing, swang across it, played in the creek, got dirty, ate junk food, candy, ice cream, all of the stuff that if Jamie was with us, she would have disapproved of. We got dirty. We got filthy. We spent all day long doing this. And then after we got through, I cleaned them up, gave them baths. We prayed, had our devotions, went to bed, turn, uh, turned out the light. And as I was leaving Peter's room, 
He was like four or five years old. He goes, Dad? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you're a good dad. <laughs> you know what that did? That blessed me. He didn't go, bless you, Dad. <laughs> All he did was just say, thanks, you're a good dad. And man, it made me want to drag him out of bed and go horseback riding again and do all of this. And you know what? That's the way it is. Some of you don't realize it, but God needs ministry. God wants you to bless him. This is what you were created for. That was the original purpose. And that's still your number one purpose in life is to say, Father, you're a good dad. You're a good God. Father, thank you. Thank you for my health. Thank you that you let me live in this country. Thank you for my opportunities. Thank you that I've got a job. Instead of cursing your job, thank him that it's as good as it is. It could be worse. Thank God that it's as good as it is. And go to loving and blessing God and just... Thanking Him. And you know what? God will get so blessed, He'll want to drag you out of bed and give you everything He can think of and bless you. And all of these things will come upon you and overtake you. And all of the others will be over there begging and pleading for these things. And they're just all flowing in your life because you love Him. There's not very many people that approach God that way. And yet that's what I believe Christianity is all about. Just loving God. Just loving God. Man, spend 95% of your time, Father, I love you, singing, worshiping, praising God. And every once in a while, oh, yeah, the doctor said I was going to die. But, God, that wouldn't be bad. Why, it would be awesome to be with you. I'm having trouble deciding whether I should stay or whether I should go. Because, Father, it's going to be awesome being with you. And you know what? Instead of having to rebuke fear and binding fear and white-knuckling it and saying, Oh, God, help me to believe, you'd be like, Oh, God, either way, if I die, I win. And if I get healed, I win. I can't lose for winning. That's the attitude that you'd have. Nothing else would matter. You know, this is a level of Christianity. This is the, this is the entry level. This is baby Christianity. This isn't for the super saints. Every born-again person, the first thing they ought to hear is that you were born again so that you could have intimacy with God and that God loves you. And when you love Him back, you are fulfilling your calling. This is what God created you for. It's what He created Adam and Eve for. It's what we're created for. And once you fulfill that, then go raise somebody from the dead. And cast out a devil and get your needs met. But those things are incidentals. You know what? If people would develop that attitude, I guarantee you, you'd be unstoppable. You know, for time's sake, I'm just going to refer to this. But in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were thrown into the Philippian jail. And they had been beaten. They saw a vision saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So they went there knowing it was a supernatural vision. They went there directed by God. They got there and within 48 hours, they had been beaten mercilessly. They were hurting. They were thrown in prison, not only in prison, but in the deepest, darkest part of the prison. There was no light in there. They were in absolute darkness. It was rat infested, disease infested. Their hands and their feet were in the stocks so that they couldn't even soothe their wounds on their back. They were hurting, they were sore, and they started singing. 
Now, there's some people that have heard that praising God is strength and power to still the enemy and the avenger. Psalms chapter 8, verse 2. And it's true. And praise does drive out demons. And that's true. And there's some Christians that will praise God through gritted teeth when they're in a bad situation. Bless the Lord. I, and you'll start praising God, not because you really believe it or mean it, but because you're doing it for spiritual warfare and you're going to drive these problems out of your life. If that's the best reason you can muster, that's better to praise God that way than it is to gripe and complain. But you know what happened? When they got to worshiping God, God got to tapping his foot, an earthquake came, it broke all of their bands off, opened up all of the prison cells, and here's the miracle, not the earthquake. You know what the great miracle was? When their stocks broke open, when their jail cell was open, and they could leave, they didn't quit praising God. They stayed. They didn't praise God so that they could get out of their problem. You know what that means? This is rare. They praised God because they really loved Him. With their backs beaten. You know, it says that the disciples left the council after they'd been beaten, thanking God and praising Him that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. That they had been put in the same category that Jesus was put in. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. And he was crucified and he bore it as a sign of pride to be identified with Jesus. Most Christians today couldn't do anything like that because we don't love God that way. We love ourselves, and we would be thinking about our loss to such a degree that who cares about anybody else? Man, you need to get beyond that and recognize that what Christianity is all about is about loving God and your prayer, in my estimate, my opinion, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one, usually has a couple of holes in it. But my opinion is that prayer is to love and to worship God, to seek first the kingdom of God and just fellowship with God. And if you do that, you wouldn't have very much to ask for because everything's already been provided. There wouldn't be any problems. Nothing would bother you. You wouldn't have to rebuke fear. You wouldn't have to pray over depression. I tell you, Christians battle with depression, it seems like, more than the unbelievers do, and it's because you aren't in the presence of God. The Bible says in John, uh, Psalm 16, 11, I believe it is, in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you're depressed, you aren't in the presence of God. It's not because God isn't with you. It's because you aren't with Him. It's because you're doing all of these other things. You get into the presence of the Lord and there will be fullness of joy. I just can't help it. When my son died and we were driving into Colorado Springs, I had the same feelings and thoughts that anybody else would, but I just... It's like you're going a thousand miles an hour. I spend my whole life trying to love God and serve God and fellowship with God. And I just can't make a U-turn at a thousand miles an hour. I just couldn't quit. On the way into the spring, I just couldn't help but saying, Father, I know that you didn't kill my son. You are a good God. And I started praising God. Started worshiping God. I was praising the Lord, thanking God 
And when we got in there, he had been dead for five hours, turned black, and he just sat up, praise God. And now instead of mourning his death, we're celebrating the birth of a granddaughter. Amen. And Jamie and I spoke. The very first thing when my other son called and said, Dad, I'm sorry to tell you, but Peter's dead. I said, Dead? What happened? He told me, and I said, Well, the first report's not the last report. And I hung up, and then Jamie and I spoke and commanded life back into him. And we, we did pray. We did take authority. But you know what? It was 30 seconds that we prayed like that. And the rest of the time was, Father, thank you. You're a good God. You don't do stuff like this. This isn't your will. We just loved and worshiped and praised God and saw our son raised from the dead. Spent 30 seconds praying over it as far as petitioning. And the rest was just praising God. I know some of you don't agree with what I'm saying, but don't wake me up. It's working. Amen. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I have a great time. And this is what my prayer life with God is all about. It's just loving God. I don't ask for very much. I don't do very much. And yet, you know, great things are happening. And I'd recommend it. You may not, this may not fit your mold. But until you get better results than what I'm getting, maybe you ought to try my method. And I tell you, if you do this, it just makes Christianity a blast. It's fun. And you don't have to worry about stuff. Worry is blasphemy against the promises of God. It comes from not knowing Jesus and not having intimate relationship with Him. And I, what I've said tonight, I know it's simple, but it's profound. And I tell you what, it takes a lot of effort to set aside self and all of your self-interest and just go to loving God. But I can promise you this. Here's my experience is that as I bless God, I get more blessed than God gets. I don't know how this works. But God just won't ever let you out give Him. You start blessing Him and saying, Father, you're a good God and thanking Him. And I guarantee you, God's going to bless you. You'll have all of the emotion you can handle. You'll have all the goosebumps you can handle. God will just take care of you. God treats me good. He treats me much better than I deserve. And I tell you, a lot of it's just because, man, I spend a lot. Of, that's my whole life is just, I spend time loving God. Now, there are times that I will pray in tongues for an hour, two hours or something, but usually that's because I'm needing wisdom in some area. And so I'm praying in tongues and I'm drawing it out. But even then I'm praising God because I know that the answer is coming. The Bible says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. There should never be a time that you are just burdened and they're bawling and squalling and doing this. You're supposed to always be praising God. You're supposed to always be thanking Him. And if you would take that approach... It shrinks your problems right down to where they're minimal. It's not a big deal. You know, this doesn't sell a lot of tapes. If I had seven steps on how to make God do something in a seven-tape series, everybody would buy that because they want to make God do something. But when it just comes down to it, why don't you just love God and go to thanking Him and blessing Him and make that a priority in your life and all day long just be in communication and thanksgiving. That's, people don't want that. I don't know why. It's because you haven't ever been in the presence of God. 
If you've ever experienced what it's like to have God's pleasure manifest to you, I guarantee you it's worth everything that the world could ever offer. You know, I was at a meeting one night where I saw people's lives just, I mean, people were just being transformed in front of my eyes. Not only physical things, but emotional. They were just being put in touch with God. And I remember when I've been in meetings and sitting out there being receiving, and I was just overwhelmed. I remember Jamie and me sitting in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting until we were the last two people there. We were in the presence of God. We couldn't get up and walk out. I remember those feelings. And as I was driving back to the hotel, I was just thanking the Lord. God, it's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for touching people's lives and that people are getting it and that people will never be the same after this night. And you know what the Lord said? He said, well, thank you, Andrew. He said, I appreciate you sharing those things. You know what that did? That blessed me. Some of you think, oh, God would never say anything like that. You don't know God. You know what? God's a good God. God appreciates us. He loves us. God will tell you that He loves you. And there's some of you that don't, haven't ever heard that. You feel like maybe He's creator and He's responsible, so He provided salvation for you because He's a good God. But, you know, He might love you, but He doesn't like you. It's not true. Man, God loves you. And many of you just haven't ever experienced the joy of telling Him how much you love Him and having God tell you that He loves you too. He appreciates you. He appreciates what you do. Well, God's a good God. And I tell you, if you could get the heart of what I'm trying to get across tonight, it would transform your prayer life. You would be a totally different person. Everything in your life would change. Nothing else matters. There's only one thing needful. And the thing that's needful is just loving God and worshiping God. Nothing else matters. Everything else is incidental. Amen? How many of you here tonight would have to say, you know what, I've missed the real purpose of salvation. Man, I got saved so I wouldn't go to hell. I've never heard that God loved me and God wanted intimacy with me. That hasn't been my focus. That's not what I use prayer for. Every once in a while you may say thank you or do something, but it's never been a revelation to you. And tonight you need to say, you know what, I need to repent and I need to go on and receive the real goal of salvation. Man, I need to start loving and worshiping God. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to receive this. How many of you would have to say, I know that everybody in here could love God more. I'm convicted by what I preach. But you know what? Even though I could always do it better and I could do it more, this is my heart's cry. And this is what I've been trying to do for 34 years. And so I can't make a commitment to do it any better than I'm doing I don't ever obtain and do it properly, but it is my heart's commitment. But there's some of you in here that this isn't your commitment. You're committed to yourself. You're committed to getting your needs met. And maybe you might even pray and bind for some other people, but you know what? The truth is, bottom line, you just don't love God that way. And how many of you in here just humble yourself and say, Brother, that's me. And you know what? I need to repent, and I'm going to make a commitment that, man... 
I'm going to every day say, God, you're a good God. And bless God. I want to bless God. How many of you in here would, would say, I'm not doing that, but I'm going to make a commitment. I'm changing. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I believe, the Bible says in, uh, I believe it's 1 Timothy 1.12, that he is faithful and just to keep that which we commit. No committing, no keeping. If you don't make a commitment, I know some of you may think, well, I'm not sure I could live up to it. Well, you can't. You'll fail. But if you'll just make the commitment, God will remind you of it. God will hold you to it. God will bring you back to it. It's important that you do something. And you know what? By standing and humbling yourself, you know what you're doing? You're saying, I'm putting God more important than myself. I know there's probably somebody thinking, well, have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes so that they won't see me. You know what you're doing? You're putting yourself ahead of God. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. I'm asking you to do this while everybody's head is up and their eyes are open so that you'll get the maximum humiliation out of this. <laughs> I'm going to pray specifically that this won't work for anybody who's seated. If you're seated, this won't work. You've got to stand to receive. Amen. Praise God. Father, I just thank you for all these people that have been touched tonight and that have seen that, Father, we are missing the whole goal of salvation.